we have these blocks about sex and, and, and we treat sex like it is completely separate from us and who we are and that it's special and that we shouldn't corrupt it and everything else. And, and all of those things are nice and lovely in some ways, but the reality is that sex is part of us and yeah. we can't understand who we are as a person without understanding our sexuality. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. And I'm Lotus Lane, and you can find me on all social media at It's Lotus Lane, which is spelled I-T-S-L-O-T-U-S-L-A-I-N. Also, just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast on Apple to please leave us a five-star review that really helps us grow on the podcast and better share the information with our guests on the sex work community as a whole. This segment of today's episode is sponsored by sex.com, one of the absolute best content creator platforms out there. It looks better than any other, has a higher level of security than any other, and boasts over 3 million unique visitors a day scrolling through viral looped adult short form videos. Sex.com is like, well, (laughs) sex itself. A lot of people do it. Some just do it much, much better than the others. Sex.com. If you're going to do it, do it right. Welcome, David J. Lay, PhD, to the On the Horizon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be here. Awesome. So, Lotus, you want to kick this off? I'm stoked about this episode. Yes. Yes. Again, thank you, David, for being here with us today. Um, And you're going to talk to us about porn addiction and all of the myths and propaganda surrounding that, because is porn addiction real? (laughs) We want to know the real deal, especially the science behind it, the research, what that really says. Sure thing. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly a hot topic these days. Um, I uh, just so your listeners know, um, uh, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm a certified sex therapist. I'm based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been practicing oh, 25 years or so now. You know, one one of the really common kind of myths, the, this idea that um, pornography rewires your brain. And this is really deceptive language because the reality is your brain is constantly rewiring itself. That is how learning works, is that our brains are constantly changing. When we learn new information, when we acquire new skills, um, our brain, the the uh, neurons and, and synapses and connections. When we do something over and over again, our brain learns how to do it better. And so uh, when we first start watching pornography, um, we might be less effective at watching it and getting turned on than we are later on because we're practicing. So, yeah, our brain is getting better at processing this material in the way that we want it to. That's not that's not a bad thing. 
Um, there's also this this kind of notion of what they call reboot. And the, the idea is you take 90 days um, without masturbating. And this actually originated in the sex addiction world um, back in the 1980s, where they said, you know, when you're a sex addict, you have to re you have to, you have to take 90 days abstinence in order to kind of clear your body and your brain of sex. So in the porn addiction world, they claim that if you uh, take 90 days without masturbating to pornography, that you're rebooting your brain, like you reboot a computer when you, when you turn it off and on, um, and, and your brain goes back to the original settings. Yeah, I could tell you right now, I've taken some 90 day breaks here and there, and it didn't slow down any stamina or any desire or anything. Uh, but I definitely love, love, love the way you reframed what was attempted to make sound insidious, like the rewiring of our brain. Um, yeah, because it sounds bad, like we're being brainwashed or something, but it's literally learning. And I love that you let us know that because I feel like I just learned something right now and got rewired. <laughs> um, so there is one group of men that it appears do have problems with erectile dis with erectile function as they go to have partnered sex um, related to their use of pornography. And this is men who are ashamed or guilty of watching pornography. Men who grew up religious, who have high levels of sexual shame, particularly around masturbation or around watching or participating in any kind of sexual fantasy or behavior that they were taught made them a bad person. When those guys go to have partnered sex, typically with their wife, they feel ashamed and guilty about the masturbation that they were having and the sexual fantasies and that they were enjoying as they watch pornography. And they feel guilty now as they try to have sex with their wife. That guilt and shame gets in the way of erectile function. However, in men at large, Pornography consumption and masturbation do not predict erectile problems at all. Um, and in fact, men who masturbate more, men who watch more pornography are actually more likely to be more sexually responsive because watching pornography and masturbation is an expression of, of, of libido and sexual desire. The, uh, the big problem here, though, is anxiety. And men commonly, different from women, men commonly use masturbation as a way to manage negative emotions. Um, women, uh, you know, frankly, I envy you guys in lots of ways, um, <laughs> boobs and clitorises and multiple orgasms, all, you know, are just, are just a few of those things. But from an early age, women are taught how to manage and express negative emotions. Guys are taught to suck it up. The only negative emotions guys are really able to express is oftentimes anger. So when a guy is anxious and depressed and worried, um, he doesn't know how to deal with it. And being turned on and looking at pornography and masturbating actually turns off those negative emotions very effectively for a little while. So guys will use masturbation and pornography to, to, to cope with negative, with anxiety and depression and worry. And then when those guys go to uh, have partnered sex, they don't have good skills to manage anxiety. Yeah. And so they start to worry, am I going to get erect? Am I going to be able to have an orgasm? And I, am I going to be able to give my partner pleasure? And that worry now is the cure for an erection. It mm -hmm. makes erections go away. Yeah. 
Um, but, but again, the problem here is that rather than inviting men to do some self-examination in terms of what's going on inside for them, what's going on for their feelings, we distract from the person and we focus on the pornography. That's insidious and damaging. And uh, it's kind of sad. Um, yeah. it, it gets in the way of people actually being able to address these issues. When I see these guys, and I see a lot of them, um, I, I tell them, welcome to the amazing world of sex that doesn't revolve around your dick. And <laughs> you have fabulous sex without an erection. I kind of think you can. And it would be amazing if you went to your partner and said, hey, how would you like me to touch you or, mm-hmm. or stimulate you if my penis wasn't part of it? Oh, my because God. It, that would be such an amazing right. thing to hear from a new lover. That would excite me so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 now that takes off some of the pressure on the guy to be to have a hard penis and pound away because he thinks that's that's what being a good lover is. Um, and it, it, the the less he has to worry about getting an erection, the more easily he gets an erection. Yeah, it's funny. I have um, guy friends that. I think it's because I'm a sex worker. They'll like, you know, express themselves to me about things about around sex and sexuality in the bedroom. And I recently, I won't name names because I don't want to ruin anyone's <laughs> anything, but I had a call where they were really like so much shame around not staying hard during sex with someone that they've really, someone they really like and someone they really care about and they really admired for a long time. And then finally getting that opportunity and then not being able to perform. And I'm like, well, you have so much anxiety around this one yeah. instance in this one, you know, um, circumstance that you've been kind of hyping yourself up for. Like, of course you're nervous. Like, and that's so, so normal. Like, I can't mm-hmm. tell you, I don't know a woman that hasn't had that experience. Like that's a very normal thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Guys, guys do talk to sex workers more openly than they talk to lots of um, to, to lots of other women in their lives. And um, a friend of mine, uh, Kate Frank, um, she actually wrote this lovely book called Plays Well in, Gro- in okay. Groups about group sex. And she was a, a she was a, 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 a exotic dancer and wrote her dissertation on um, the perf- the behavior of men in strip clubs. And she talks she talks about how men. Um, are more able to be open about themselves, their yeah. sexuality, without fear of being judged and called a pervert, etc. And that lots of men go to sex. I mean, uh, you know, I know this, you know this, but people are always surprised when they find out that lots of men go to sex workers to talk. Yeah, right. Yeah. One one of my interesting theories is about that. Like, it just boils down to like majority not all but majority of like cis men they really don't have interest in a girl unless they're kind of attracted to her you know a woman unless they're kind like there's not like an interest to open up to some woman that is not attractive like but when they're attractive then they feel like okay and they're a sex worker and they're sexual yes now i'm bearing my soul to you now i'm telling you my deep dark secrets and desires but if it's just like a regular therapist that's not sexually like desirable it's just like why would i just open up to the it just i can i know i know my brother like i know man you know (laughs) i love that i love that there used to be there used to be a lady on online that she called herself the naked therapist i'm not sarah white i think i can't remember if she's still out there doing it but she was doing basically 
um, you know, kind of therapy sessions through Zoom. She wasn't a licensed therapist, to be clear, but through these sessions, she would progressively disrobe and sometimes the guys would as well. But, I, you know, I interviewed her about it, you know, because everybody thought, ah, eh, this is just, you know, it's it's just a it's just a scam. She's just getting naked. Right. They're just paying her to get naked. But I really believe that she was doing some kind of interesting work because she said that by 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 her being vulnerable and letting the guys get turned on they were able to express and connect with aspects of, of themselves that they couldn't in, in other circumstances. I thought it was really clever. Not, yeah. not that I'm getting naked with my patients, <laughs> but um, I think that they're um, not that I would have the same, same effect that she did or that you, you know, that either of you would, but there, there is something there. And I think ultimately what it goes down, comes back to is that we have this, we have these blocks about sex and, and, and we treat sex like it is completely separate from us and who we are and that it's special and that we shouldn't corrupt it and everything else. And, and all of those things are nice and lovely in some ways, but the reality is that sex is part of us and yeah. we can't understand who we are as a person without understanding our sexuality. When, you know, I encourage folks to sit down and think when they're not turned on, when they're not masturbating, how they feel about their, uh, about the pornography they watch, about the fantasies that they have. And, and if they are ashamed of them, and oftentimes they are, where is that shame coming from? Are you yeah. sure that that is something you should be ashamed of? Or were you just taught that by, by, you know, ideas and values that are outdated now? Yeah. There's, um, I, and I've had this, you know, I recently, this was very recent, actually. I had a fan or a user come into my webcam room and he was engaging with me and it was kind and it was a good exchange. And then it turned to where like, well, I'm only here because I have sex addiction and I'm only here because I have porn addiction. And I have this problem and you're mm -hmm. the problem. And I was like, well, First off, I don't know how to navigate that because my belief around porn addiction is that it doesn't exist. Like, and I, I think everyone can be addicted to things. You, like, I find myself having a very addictive kind of personality. I, I steer clear of certain things because I, I know where my self-discipline lacks and, and it succeeds. So I will navigate accordingly. But what, when people tell me that, or when fans tell me that, it it irks me because I just don't think that science supports this idea of porn addiction. And I wanted to know if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, well, first I'm, I'm sorry that people do that to you. That's shitty. Um, <laughs> and it, it is an externalizing kind of act. So again, rather than taking responsibility, as you just said that you do, you recognize places where you struggle to, to exert self-control. And so you are thoughtful and mindful about navigating those avenues. Instead, he is engaging in this behavior. And then rather than taking responsibility for his choices, he's placing external blame on you and on pornography. It also is this interesting way where they can give up control and give up feeling badly about themselves in order to enjoy the experience for a moment um, by saying, well, I can't control it. It's an addiction. And, and I've heard a lot of sex workers say that they have clients come that, that the, the, the guy says, well, I'm really in my addiction right now. And that's code for, I feel shame and guilt about my sexual desires. And that shame and guilt gets in the way. And the only way I can uh, relieve that, that shame and guilt is by 
imagining that it is in control of me and giving up control, just like a submissive in a BDSM relationship. I'm giving up control. I'm giving up control to sexuality so that it takes me over. And now I can explore this in all the ways I want and not feel guilty in the moment. I feel guilty later. Yeah. Um, the research on, quote unquote, the idea of porn addiction um, really finds that the so-called porn addicts don't watch more pornography than anybody else. They feel worse about it. And the reason that they feel worse about it is that overwhelmingly they are highly religious. Um, the number, say, is yeah. it even an addiction then? It's just like a massive porn guilt trip that they are. It is. Yeah, it is absolutely a shame and guilt trip um, that they're feeling over. And, and atheists are the least likely group to self-identify as addicted to porn. That's um, so funny. This is uh, really mind-blowing for me right now because, honestly, if I could just interject real quick, when I was in my earlier 20s, probably when I wasn't as liberated and I was looking at a bunch of porn, I probably had guilty feelings too, and I probably thought, wow, I'm going to be consumed and overwhelmed. And now as an older person, less consumed by religious thoughts or whatever, um, I don't even look at porn as much anymore. You know, I don't like, it's not like, I don't know, maybe I'm sexually satisfied as well too, but it's just like what you're describing. I've, I've experienced it. Maybe not in the extreme sense, but I totally relate to the trajectory that you're talking about. And when we, particularly when we come out of conservative kind of backgrounds and we start to explore um, sexual fantasies, um, there can be like kind of a frenzy. There can be, you know, in the BDSM world, they kind of call it a sub frenzy. You know, we, we, we hear, we, we see people when they come out as gay or lesbian, they oftentimes go through a period of high promiscuity. And that is them kind of, uh, there's even some idea that it's kind of a, something of a delayed adolescence. And the same is true here. When people finally start putting away some of that shame and guilt that has kept them from exploring their sexuality, they do kind of dive in and look a little compulsive. Um, The, uh, again, it is them working through the beliefs and ideas and values that they were taught about sex. One of the really interesting things is that as people watch pornography, they become less religious. And, and I actually call this the lightning didn't strike phenomenon because the, the, you know, they were taught that if you masturbate, if you explore these fantasies, something bad will happen. Right. I swear. Yes. I swear. I had those thoughts. Like I would masturbate and then I would sit there and think, Oh God, like strike me now or something yeah, and then yeah. it never happened. Like these extreme bad luck occurrences never occurred. And I was like, me thinks I could go a little further with my That's right. relation yeah. and everything will be okay. That's <laughs> right. If they were wrong about this, what else were they wrong about? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then as people watch pornography and as people engage in more sex, as people um, are swingers, for instance, they become more accepting of other people's sexuality. Men who watch pornography, you may not believe this, but men who watch pornography tend to be more egalitarian and more supportive of feminist rights and women working outside the home, for instance, that because men become more accepting of female sexuality and, 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 and they become more accepting of their own sexuality and less judgmental of other people's sexuality. So 
a guy might start watching, might might start looking at pornography, and then down the road, they might be looking at, you know, fart fetish porn. Well, it's not that pornography is a slippery slope coded in KY, where, you know, you start <laughs> here and you end up fucking shit. <laughs> But it is that they were always somebody who was maybe a little bit interested in fart porn, mm-hmm. but they were ashamed of it. And as they watched pornography, they became less ashamed and more willing to kind of explore some of those fantasies that they kept secret. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because I had um, a conversation with a, a girlfriend recently who's like not a sex worker, but sex work adjacent or like very sex work curious. And I was just kind of relaying my experience with men because she had asked me where I felt it was most hard to navigate was with other women explaining the work that I do or with other men. And I had told her that I I would typically find it more complex with other women, but what I find with men and talking about sex work or their opinions of my sex work is that the men that are less, um, they're, they're less comfortable with a woman being comfortable with her own sexuality. Like it, it almost is like society has impacted men to also obviously think that women should, you know, wear long dresses and not show their bodies and like all of these ideas. But when a woman is empowered in her sexuality, it feels very threatening. And like, I could see how that would align with men who lose the shame around pornography also becoming more acceptment accepting of like where women working outside the home for example like you mentioned because for me an empowered person is an empowered person and sexuality for women is tends to be the last space they are able to kind of conquer almost that's right yeah and most of the folks that believe that pornography should be banned tend to be more conservative, tend to be more religious, tend to be less supportive of female empowerment and, and egalitarian rights. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it's not by accident that in, in the early 1980s, you know, it was the moral majority and James Dobson and highly religious folks who were arguing that pornography should be banned um, and were arguing against, um, you know, feminism and female rights. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same thing these days that uh, around 22 states in the United States have identified that pornography is a public health crisis, and they claim that it's destroying marriages and it's destroying traditional values and that it's changing boys' brains and that it's causing erectile dysfunction. They're, they're invoking all of these panic myths to scare people. All of these states are highly religious states. All of these public health crisis laws have been introduced by highly religious um, uh, legislators because religious people feel like their sexual values are under attack and pornography, particularly pornography on the internet that you can't keep out. You can't keep out of your house. Can't keep out of the, you know, your kid has to be on the computer during zoom and, Mm -hmm. and the pandemic and everything else. And, and they're afraid. They're afraid that their way of life is going to go away and, and that pornography represents kind of this symbolic attack taking away, you know, heterosexual monogamy um, as the ideal. Um, I, and, I, and I feel for them. I, I understand that fear and pain. But... You know, they 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 blame people like you that are making, you know, pornography and they shame the people who are watching pornography without ever really understanding what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, you know, that's funny because I remember even right now, Lotus, when you mentioned that, like now that you've kind of shed some of this shame and come into your own, you, you actually watch pornography less. And I found that too. And I wasn't sure if it was because of like the shedding of shame around, you know, porn in general, and then my own coming into my career and all of these things. But I find too, just, I, I almost not desensitized to it, but like, it doesn't strike me as all that different or like taboo or yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, like I can like go into my fantasies and those are like way better masturbation material than like spending 30 minutes searching for the like perfect right. thing to like make my clitoris trigger, yeah. you know, like, that's hard too. Like yeah. maybe I'm more busy and I don't have time for all that anymore. But so like they're, in they're, my early twenties. Yeah, there's some really interesting research around um, men and women approach pornography or use pornography in slightly different ways. Um, uh, women are compared to men are much more likely to watch gifs of porn. You know, the short looping videos like on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, women are less likely to get sexually bored or to get highly aroused at sexual novelty. So compared to men, women are more able to watch that same stimuli over and over again and stay aroused at it. Mm-hmm. Also, though, women are more likely to report that they get turned off if they if if something happens in the video that they don't like, you know, so, uh, you know, somebody behaves in a way they find distasteful. Some, you know, somebody comes in that they don't find attractive. It turns them off. Guys are a little more able to surf over that and keep going. And so I, I find it just really, really interesting when I talk to to folks about how they um how they watch porn and and a lot of women say exactly what you just did lotus is that they spend a lot of time looking to find the material that they know is going to turn them on (laughs) and whereas guys may be a little more able um to find material that turns them on a little uh, a little more easily Intr- however and again um really neat research um meredith chivers did this at, at you know in at northwestern university um in chicago and she showed that compared to men women demonstrate physiological sexual arousal to a diversity of stimuli So you can show women straight porn, lesbian porn, gay porn, even videos of monkeys having sex and their vaginas get lubricated and swell with blood and get physically turned on. But when men get physically turned on watching pornography, overwhelmingly, they are also psychologically turned on. Women show a pattern of getting physiologically aroused, but not psychologically aroused. And so women will say, I don't know why you're showing me these videos of monkeys. I'm not a monkey sexual, right? That's not my thing. But their body is getting turned on by it. And so in women and men, there is kind of a split between psychological and physiological arousal that impacts this. And I think one of the things that the, the, the two of you may be tapping into is the work you've done to be able to listen to your body and connect your psychological and physiological arousal. A lot of women don't have the freedom to do that. Is that why there's the orgasm gap? Like they're unable to orgasm. I've always wondered about that because um, I've never had a problem orgasming ever since I was even like before an, an adult. Um, yeah. 
I've always been able to. So that always like whether it's myself masturbating or with a partner. So that that's really interesting. Probably that's probably a significant part of it. You know, women are taught to suppress their sexuality. Women are taught to suppress their sexual arousal. I mean, my God, even if a woman's nipples are visible right through the shirt, people are going to call her a slut, right? Yeah. Because, you know how how dare your nipples get aroused? It's cold. How dare? Oh you? my God. Um and. And 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 so, so suppressing your your female sexual arousal is definitely one reason women for the orgasm gap. Also, you know, compared to men, it takes longer for women to achieve orgasm. Many men are not you know um, aware of doing things like you know extended foreplay to help the women get to that point. Clitoral stimulation is really necessary for most women to achieve orgasm, and um, you know, are guys necessarily able to find it? Interestingly, guys who watch pornography are more able to find the clitoris compared to other men. I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> Their brains have been rewired and yes. they've learned where it is. <laughs> That's right. My brain was rewired with like a little compass located. There it is. I love that. I love yeah. that. Oh, man. <laughs> this has been super interesting, too. Um, for people who want to come follow you and also your fantastic, you are a fantastic Twitter follow. My you are. Oh, you're one you. of my favorites. Yeah, because <laughs> you drop real good knowledge nuggets that always Aww. like, I don't know, just like you you are in this. In this yeah. Situation. Yeah. So where can people find more of you? Um, uh, uh, boy, that sounds like where are the naked pictures of you, David? Um, uh, I'm not gonna say. Um, uh, uh, on Twitter is one of the great ways to find me at doc, um, uh, at Dr. David Lay. Um, uh, last name, even though it sounds like get laid, is actually L E Y. I only had two options clearly, I could, um, I, I could be a sex doctor or a politician involved in a sex scandal like Anthony Weiner. Um, totally, uh, yeah. <laughs> But but I don't like politics. Um, being a sex doctor is a lot more fun. Um, but at Dr. David Lay on Twitter is one of the best ways. I have a website, davidlayphd.com. And let me show you something. So here is, here is a book that I wrote that your followers would probably like. It's called Ethical Porn for Dicks, A Man's Guide to Responsible Viewing Pleasure. Um, you can get an ebook of it on Amazon. And um, uh, you can get a hard copy on uh sexual health alliance um they have a bookstore uh and i uh, i do a lot of speaking and training for them and the book is filled with all of these fun little um uh what i call petro porn that are drawings from around the world um of penises and gangbangs and money shots um all kinds of naughty naughty sex drawings that are thousands of years old that they're are, really real drawings that, that they are they real yeah, oh yeah. my god I yeah. love and in that. fact i mean this one if you see this little guy who's really proud of his big penis um that is uh carved on uh rocks that are just about five miles um uh from where i am right now um uh petroglyphs up in the up in the albuquerque hills um and i illustrated the book with them to send the message that watching pornography, looking at, 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 at visual images of sex is absolutely nothing new. Um, like this is a this is a picture of a threesome. Um, I want to say that is from Algeria. Um, and and all of these drawings, um, you know, are, uh, are, are, are from pictures that I collected around the world and then translated into into drawings into the book. 
That's amazing. I love I that. Love us humans. Thank God for the early humans because they're yes. just confirming that we are doing what needs to be done. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, David. This has been fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Thank you both for doing what you're doing. I, I really just want to, um, th- this might sound silly, but I really admire and respect your courage um, to be out there, to be, to accept yourselves as erotic sexual beings, to share that with the public in, in a way that models what it looks like to overcome shame. Um, so that. thank you. You, all, you. you both are sending really powerful, healthy messages. I love that. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education, stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms. Their platform, Tris.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It's free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel supported and encouraged instead of policed. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. And I'm Lotus Lane, and you can find me on all social media at It's Lotus Lane, which is spelled I-T-S-L-O-T-U-S-L-A-I-N.